0: All right, so today's episode uh, was a lot of fun to record.
1: Yes, it was. Bree Arthur joined us to talk about the awesomeness of horticulture.
0: Her passion showed through the entire time. It is so cool to find someone this passionate about what they're doing. And we definitely got the right person for the job on this one.
1: She is a plant
0: propagator. And, and she started off, she, man, all the resources. She gave us so many resources and walked did a good walkthrough of resources yes. that uh, for people to get more information right off the bat, it started sharing those with us. So right off the bat, you learn uh, places to get more stuff. And then she got into our content and, about propagation. And I mm-hmm. I didn't know some of those. Uh, I mean, okay, I know about seeds and stuff and I've heard of grafting and I've heard of cuttings maybe, but it was like, whoa, some of these were new ones for me. And I, well,
1: and I have really liked this, that she talked about where each of those types of, of propagating yeah. are useful. So whether it's for the home or some sort of business landscape or for a nursery, she kind of covered like where each one's appropriate.
0: And so enjoy this episode as much as we did, we hope.
1: Today on Superheroes of Science, we're so excited to welcome Bree Arthur. Bree is an author and horticulturalist, and I heard that she's also the president of the International Plant Propagators Society. Did I get that right? You did. Well, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> well, what better person to have uh, to explain plant, plant propagation to us? Yes.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I am so thrilled to be here and supporting my alma mater, Purdue University.
0: I going to say we love it. We, we certainly appreciate you taking time uh, to do this. And uh, I think this would be a, an extremely exciting topic for, uh, for many levels for us. Our teachers are going to go crazy over this. Oh. And so it's, and you have a screen share, I believe. And so you, you, for the presentation, for those of you that uh, are watching on the YouTube, we'll be able to, to see some of the things we're talking about.
2: Well, I am really thrilled to talk about plant propagation. This is my kind of main love, my um, original occupation in the horticulture industry and I actually discovered my adoration for plant propagation from taking this class at Purdue. And I was the only one in that class to get an A. (laughs) And in part, it was because the grade wasn't based just on your test knowledge. It was based on your success rate, getting plants to root from either cuttings, getting seeds to germinate and getting grafts to take. And I'm really grateful for the experience that I had in that class early in my education because it really helped direct where I wanted to go in my career. And I often just reflect back thinking how how that completely changed my life. And you know, that's that's just one of the greatest values that you can Get from um, a continuing education uh, in any field, but particularly in the horticulture world.
0: That is awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it's, 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 I love to hear that uh, when people take classes, it helps guide their path, kind of, I should say, or give them inspiration upon their path.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Well, and you know, equally, you learn what you don't want to do for a living from taking some of your classes. So it's really important when you have those classes where that light bulb goes off. And, uh, you know, I mean, isn't that what life is about? Sorting your way through, determining what brings you joy and what brings you frustration and trying to at least balance it.
0: Yes, it is. Very nice.
2: Well, so we sort of introduced um, me a bit here. I am an author of written two books on the subject of uh, growing growing food and ornamentals collectively in your residential and commercial landscapes. That's been a big passion of mine, and I actually relocated to the Raleigh, North Carolina area the weekend after I graduated from Purdue, and I've been here ever since, living in Zone 7, uh, which is a delightful year-round growing season. However, it is 95 degrees, and we haven't had rain in over a month, so this is the time of year when we all collectively start whining about our climate.
0: (laughs) A longer growing season would be nice, being up here in Zone (laughs) 5.
2: There is something to be said about having a little bit of time off in the winter to you know, reflect on what worked and what didn't and um, not, not actually not actually work in the elements 12 months of the year.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Now, really, my entire focus as a green industry professional is the basic idea that I think horticulture is awesome. Um, I think that there are very few occupations where you can improve the environment and strengthen community, um, you know, solve really important real world problems with the palette in which you get to express yourself through, you get to bring beauty to the world in a unique and living way. I just can't find a single downside to growing plants in general um, and I, I would just encourage everyone in the next generation to you know take up the interest of gardening in some capacity because there are so many different facets of it that um, you know I was passionate about insects. so I you know studied entomology while I was at Purdue and I find that um, that experience, plays equally important to my knowledge of plants and plant propagation is a lot of the focus in 2021 and beyond is looking at environmental solutions that the horticulture industry offers and I think it's a very bright future for anyone um, you know looking at careers and looking at educational opportunities in the green industry as a whole agriculture uh, we can't exist without it. It's relevant, it's necessary, and it's essential. And that was proven last year during the pandemic. So uh, I think those are three really important points to always hold on to with regard to why horticulture is awesome. Uh, you'll never get tired of it. There's always something new to learn. You'll never know it all. And the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. So it's also a very humbling experience to be working in this industry.
0: Definitely could see that. It's, I know the more gardening I do, the, the less I realize I know. And I, 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 there's days it seems like I know less than I did the day before, but I thought I knew more. So understood.
2: It's a a funny reality. (laughs) Well, and like I said, I think there are endless opportunities. I'm really happy to see programs that are specifically targeting, you know, junior high and high school aged students uh, like Seed Your Future that, you know, really offer this connection to better understand What is out there and and what are the trainings that you will need, you know, once you graduate from, um, you know, your high school level? And, you know, what are the opportunities that are out there waiting for you? And these programs are relatively new, because um, the industry recognized that all of a sudden, we didn't have as many agriculture programs available in public schools. And um, you know, it's it's a really critical component for the nursery, the plant propagation, and the, the landscape business, la, long-term uh, land management strategies, that we have a new generation coming up that's that's educated and trained and, you know, understands best practices. And um, I'm, I'm proud to see all of the opportunities that are now being made available that weren't even here 10 years ago. So... You can visit the Seed Your Future website and learn a lot more about the programs that they offer and a lot of the industry connections that can be made through that particular program. And for me, my horticulture journey started as a seven-year-old 4-H'er. And honestly, my life wouldn't be what it is if it weren't for the hardworking extension agents all across the United States. Um, I am so grateful for the extension program and the information that they share on every different level from 4-H and junior master gardeners to the adult education programs. Um, I I just wish 4-H was available in every single community because not only did I learn about the art and the science of horticulture through there, I learned so many valuable life skills, like um, how to make bread, how to sew. <laughs> I know this is really old-fashioned, but like, how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> you know, just basic day-to-day things that you need to know to be able to exist in this society as a young adult. And they were all introduced to me through the 4-H program. And I just cannot say enough about everybody who's involved in, in 4-H. And I hope to see that it will last for you know many, many more centuries because it's such a valuable resource. I, sometimes I purposely dress to match the, the 4-H's on their flag. <laughs> for those of you who don't have the visual, I'm wearing a green dress so that I can pose with the 4-H flag and not clash. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> and another institution that has been profound in my professional experience from starting when I was in college, actually, my plant propagation instructor at Purdue introduced me to the International Plant Propagator Society. And in, the, in North America, we have three regions. Um, in the Midwest area, you would be part of the Eastern region. Where I live now, we are Southern region. And then we have Western region, And the reason that we have these divides is simply because the information we share about propagating plants is very regionally specific. So, you know, for us here in the Southeast, we do a lot of production of broadleaf evergreens that wouldn't necessarily be hardy in zone five. So you don't need to have classes on how to grow camellias, right? Those aren't really a part of your everyday landscape. Um, And so, you know, it's very much, it's all scientific based. We work very closely with land-grant universities, and we have a very strong connection to students. And in fact, we offer free student memberships. So um, I would encourage students of any age, this is open to even junior high and high school up into graduate level, um, to join IPPS if you have an interest in plant propagation or plant production. It's a fantastic, Network of people, um, my my, you know the rock stars of horticulture. When I was growing up, certainly Dr. Michael Durr, who literally wrote the book on trees and shrubs, uh, is an active member in my region. I've actually become very dear friends with him. I'll be visiting him in two weeks. And it's all because of the connection and the camaraderie and the the networks that you build through these professional associations. And so much of any career, no matter which facet of um, any industry you're in, goes back to these personal connections, having meaningful relationships with people that when you don't have the answer, you know the person who does. And you can really build your reputation based off of, you know, being a reliable source of information, not because you know it all, but because you know enough people to be able to fulfill the need that, that others require of you. And for me, IPPS remains something that is very near and dear to my heart. I have been a member since, uh, this is actually my 21st year of being a member. And I have now been president for two years because of the pandemic. I have had an extended stay <laughs> but it's been an incredible uh, professional opportunity and an, a really wonderful learning experience um, outside of the realm of what I would normally do as a plant propagator, having a better understanding of managing a society and understanding the economics behind that and you know, the organization of creating an annual meeting and then transitioning to being virtual as a result of the changes in society. So I'm, I'm very grateful for all of the opportunities that this group has afforded me. And I would encourage everyone to get involved with IPPS. Cool. Another group that I'd recommend, particularly for younger, younger people, um, Emergent. This is actually a group that I created back in um, 2012. And it was because I saw there was um, a generation gap in societies that required a monthly or a yearly fee, you know, an an annual registration fee. And a lot of young professionals don't have an extra hundred and fifty dollars to pay to actually join a society and their employers may not offer that as a benefit of employment. So I created this group on Facebook, and it is only on Facebook. And the the reason for that was to keep it uh, free. We didn't want the expense of having a website, and we didn't didn't want managing it to become somewhat of a challenge. But it's a great open forum for now almost 5,000 members globally to connect and ask questions and post jobs, post scholarships. It's just a really fantastic resource to be made aware of. Um, At one point, um, it was tallied that Emergent had the most job listings of any online resource for the nursery and landscape industry. So if you're looking for a job, this is the place to start.
0: (laughs) Good advice.
2: (laughs) But getting into our main topic of plant propagation, This is something that I have been doing for a long time. I did my first internship in floriculture production at um, Heartland Growers down in Noblesville, Indiana. And it was Dr. Alan Hammer who connected me to that opportunity. And I, you know, it was a job that I, will always covet. I I sometimes laugh that my best job was my first job. It was the most sophisticated place I've ever worked. Um, Nearly at that time, 30 acres under glass, all controlled environment, flood floors, uh, more technology than I had ever been exposed to. And um, I know that the Van Wingerton family of greenhouses has only gotten larger. There's even more employment opportunities through them if you're interested in annual crops. Um, I relish the time that I spent there and I actually worked there all through college coming back on weekends uh, to help out with random tasks and and spray pesticides. They were the reason I got my pesticide applicators license. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that, it's part of the job. But to really dive into the ideas of plant propagation, you know, there's a lot of different ways that plants are produced. So, you know, we have everything from methods that home gardeners would employ, things like air layering or ground layering, um, into things like cuttings, which is something that, you know, is more focused in uh, commercial production. Division, which is something that's primarily utilized for herbaceous plants, things that have stolons or rhizomes and spread really easily. So you can take a shovel and and cut them up. Um, Grafting, which um, is really going to be more specific to a woody plant, um, often trees very specifically. Um, I do a lot of grafting of camellias, which of course are a warm climate plant. And much of my, many of my examples that I'm going to share with you are camellia-based, because those are primarily what I give presentations on. I've, I've specialized for more than a decade in producing and breeding camellias. So I, I'm a broadleaf evergreen expert. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, you have seed, which is something that's employed both as home gardeners, I mean, particularly people growing vegetables, you're basically doing everything from seed, but it's also a really important aspect for plant breeding and crop improvements. So, you know, all of these different approaches to plant propagation kind of fit together. And then of course you have tissue culture, which is, I think the least accessible for a normal person. Like I don't have a tissue culture lab um, on my property, though I wish I did because that would be awesome. But that's you know primarily used for uh, mass production, which in today's era has now become highly specialized. It's something that is often found in nurseries that are liner producers. So in the last 20 years, the industry has changed dramatically in that you have finished growers who buy things that are already growing and they pot them up and then sell them to the end, the end consumer, whether that be a landscaper, a garden center, a, a you know a ultimately selling to a homeowner. In contrast to before twenty years ago, many nurseries actually had an on-site propagation facility, and there are still nurseries that do that. But they're certainly not propagating all of the plant material that they sell, in part because the plant brand industry has exploded and so you have plants that are patented where you aren't really legally allowed to produce them so you buy them in pre-grown from a liner producer and often those liner producers are where you have tissue culture labs that then you know facilitate either a stage three tissue culture material which may just have one or two very fine roots, and then it has to go into a cell pack and grow out in a greenhouse. It's a much more involved process. So that's where the nursery industry has has become much more specialized. So when you talk about plant propagation, you're not necessarily having to be a specialist in every one of these approaches to propagating. And in my case, my specialty was cuttings propagation. But I want to show you a little more about each one of these aspects because I think they all deserve some time and attention. So we have air layering and layering, which are really just very simple ways. This is easy. It's fast. It doesn't really require any special equipment. Um, You're going to be doing this primarily in the spring as the sap is rising in your plant material. So as they're breaking dormancy, as leaves are starting to emerge and air layering is just simply, uh, you know, scoring a branch that's up in the air and then creating a pocket that will Be humid that will ultimately allow for root development. So you're frequently doing that um, by the you're doing like a ring removal of bark to expose the cambium layer, and you're adding sphagnum moss and a layer of aluminum foil and then ultimately plastic, um, or even like plastic tape to go around that to hold the moisture in. And then you're having to visit that on a regular basis and keep it watered. And usually you would do this, say, April, May. You would be ultimately harvesting that off of the mother plant sometime in mid early to mid-fall, so let's say October. So you have an entire growing season devoted to this experience um then you're going to want to pot it up you don't want to plant it directly in the ground so then you have another basically season or two seasons of growing it out in containers before you actually put it in the ground and of course layering traditional layering you have a low branch you make a a small score you can layer a rock on it or a brick cover it with soil and ultimately roots will develop again you cut it off that mother plant and what you have is a rooted piece of that and asexual propagation, a clone genetically of the plant that you were, you know, trying to reproduce. Now, cuttings are essentially the same concept. It's, it's, again, an asexual way of producing plants. So you are basically just taking tip pieces or, you know, areas with apical dominance, because those are going to be the most adventitious tissue to be able to grow roots out on. And the advantages of cuttings propagation is very specific to the nursery industry. You're looking for uniformity. You're looking at preserving a cultivar. So you're not getting any genetic diversity when you propagate plants via cuttings. That's the point, right? You want, you want to grow out, you know, limelight hydrangea and you want all of those limelight hydrangeas to look the same because that's the expectation at a nursery and that's where cuttings propagation really comes into play. Now the key thing for being able to propagate via cuttings is having an appropriate facility to grow those plants out in and so that's where you're looking at the creation of a mist house or a mist chamber where you're being able to balance the plant's rate of respiration and trans- transpiration during the time when it's just a bare stick. It may have some leaves on it, but it doesn't have any root development because it was literally just a a tip cutting. So generally, um, plants, depending on the type of material you're sticking, will be in a mist chamber from anywhere three to four weeks up to seven or eight months. Depends on you know, what type of plant you're rooting. Um, certain, Certain conifers are very slow to propagate this way, which is often why they're grafted instead, which is another means of propagating. Now, a little bit more about cuttings propagation, the tools that you need include a sharp pair of pruners, labels and a pencil bags and a cooler. You don't want to stress your cuttings out. These are basically consider them to be prima donnas and you have to treat them very kindly. Um, I always carry rubbing alcohol because I have been trained as I have gathered cuttings in public gardens to make sure that I don't potentially spread any diseases or insects. So I clean my pruners between each plant. Uh, often I will actually light light that on fire to make sure that there's no potential contamination. Um, I also use rooting hormone. There's some discussion on the value of that. I have yet to see any reason not to use it. And then, of course, ultimately creating that greenhouse environment. So here I'm going to show you um, the process of taking camellia cuttings. Um, and this is the case with any kind of cutting. It's just I'm gathering large pieces of wood off of a tree. Um, I'm really essentially helping the either the homeowner or the public garden. I'm I'm helping them prune by offering the service of me gathering material, always with permission. There's a a lot of ethics that go along with with gathering material, specifically um, in public gardens. And you need to make sure you have asked <laughs> permission. And often, I would encourage you to be supervised. That way, there's no um, potential misunderstandings. And then I'm cutting the material down, adding it to a, a plastic bag, putting some water in that, putting that bag into a cooler so that the cuttings will you know, not get damaged from the summer heat and then getting it back to my propagation facility so I'm able to process those cuttings down to be uniform and fit into my cell tray so then I can put it into the mist chamber. And ideally, this entire process, the cuttings will be in open air for somewhere around eight to 12 minutes. So time is of the essence. You you are wanting to um, be, uh, Be be fast and that comes with experience, Uh, making sure that, you know, you're not doing this in full sun uh, where your cuttings will dry out, particularly through the summer season. And what I'm usually looking for in my cuttings is the spring flush slightly hardened. And there are some exceptions to this rule, but generally that's your approach for most deciduous and evergreen materials. So your, your primary time for propagating is usually late spring, early summer. And you're wanting it to make sure that you're only propagating off of healthy plants that don't have insect infestations, um, you know, ideally plants that aren't suffering from any number of diseases. Um, If your plant is flowering or if it has recently flowered and it might be in the stage of setting seeds, you want to remove any of that um, sexual propagation material from the plant. It's really important that the chemistry of your cutting is going to be putting its energy into root production, not flowering or setting seed. So that's a really critical component. And then ideally, you're going to have a mist house that's in some shade, or if it's in full sun, you have shade cloth on it. So for instance, I have a full sun greenhouse, but I have 50% shade cloth covering it so that right now I have it filled with unrooted cuttings. They are never getting too much sun as, you know, the sun is very, very hot at this time of year. Um, Now, in the case of camellias, which I know aren't totally relevant for zone five, but that ideal time for sticking is actually July through September. And what you're ultimately looking for size-wise on your cutting is about four inches long, usually three full leaves with two nodes buried. So nodes, of course, are where leaves come out of the stem. You'd remove two, the bottom two leaves and then leave the top three. Now, there are some cases where cutting the leaves in half is sensible, especially if they're very large. Um, That's something that, again, kind of comes from experience and understanding the facility that you're working in. But in general, with broadleaf evergreens, it's not to your advantage to disturb the tissue of the foliage. So if you cut a camellia leaf in half, the entire leaf is actually going to abort. So it doesn't actually do its job in photosynthesizing and drawing energy to make the rooting process faster. So in the case of broadleaf evergreens, you're better to just leave the leaves whole. So here I am out in the field. This is actually out down in Savannah in a private garden. Uh, These are 80-year-old camellia bushes that are dwarf that had never been named, that I was very anxious to get my hands on. And then I brought them back. And then I realized I have a whole bunch of different rooting hormones to choose from. And this is actually something that has really occurred within the last 15 years, um, primarily due to the cannabis industry. Um, And the advancements that that industry has brought with regard to plant propagation and specifically asexual production. So, uh, as you can see, like the, the Clonex is specifically branded for cannabis. Um, it works fine on all the other plants too. So it's not just for that genera. Uh, but I really actually like it a lot. It's a rooting gel. So it actually stays on your cutting much better as you are putting it into your media. And um, then it has a root promotion foliar spray that 20 years ago, this didn't exist. So, you know, the, it's a really exciting time that we have so many new products that actually speed up the process. Of plant propagation. And these are just a few. Now, the process for sticking the cutting, you're going to score the branch lightly, just meaning you're exposing the cambium layer, Um, you're going to put it in your mist chamber. Once you have it stuck, your media needs to be well drained. And I forgot to put a slide in about media. So we're going to talk about that without a visual aid. Uh, Because I specialized in tree and shrub production, but have a lot of experience with herbaceous plants as well my recommendation is to actually use um, not normal potting soil for your propagation so traditional potting soil is peat moss based it actually holds a little bit too much water for going into a mist chamber where you have water that's continuously running. So you're looking at creating a soilless media that is that has better drainage that holds a lot of humidity. So generally, aged uh, ground-aged pine bark mixed with perlite is a really great mix, um, especially for trees and shrubs. You can also do a mix of perlite and sand for herbaceous plants. That's a very common blend, usually 50-50. Uh, again, uh, your media is going to depend on your mist chamber. So there are a lot of different things that lead up to your exact process. And these are, this is the sort of information that you gain from being a part of IPPS where you can visit nurseries and you can ask these specific questions because otherwise it can be very overwhelming to, to sort all this out. Uh, really important to remember to label your cuttings Um, and maybe for the really sharp young minds that are watching this you'll remember stuff but the older you get the less you remember so and especially like in the case of camellias unless they're blooming they all look the same so you really do need to make sure that you label like what, what is the plant that you've just propagated? I like to label where I got it from. And I think the date is really critical because that's gonna be a teaching tool to determine you know, how fast did it root? Could you stick it at a better time? So there's a lot of information that can be gathered from that. Now, the really important thing, once your cuttings are starting to root, don't pull them out of the cells. <laughs> this is something that is really hard because you wanna you wanna pull it out and you wanna see those roots, and then you actually have to figure out how to get it back in the media. So it's it's something that um, what you want to do is just lightly tug. If you feel that there it's not just coming out, that means roots are developing. Don't pull it out. Leave it. Leave it. My rule is actually to not do anything with my cuttings until I see roots coming out of the bottom of the tray, which is what we have a photograph of here. Um, So the picture on the right is what not to do (laughs) picture on the bottom left is what you should do. And my rule, particularly with Woody's, is I usually wait six months. I make sure that they're fully rooted in those cells so that when they transplant, that the soil won't fall off their root ball, they'll never be bare rooted, then they won't go through transplant shock as you're potting them up and ultimately getting them to go into a garden. So patience is key for plant propagation. There is really nothing, no part of this that's instant gratification. Now grafting, um, maybe maybe the one thing that might be a little bit more instant gratification is grafting. and. The the world of grafting is is really quite amazing. Um, It's more than I can certainly explain in today's program, but I'm going to give you a good overview. The main goal here is that you can produce large quantities from, say, a single new cultivar. So an example um, would be magnolias. Magnolias can be notoriously difficult to root, as can Japanese maples. So you have a cultivar that has, you know, an extraordinary flower, or a Japanese maple that has a w- amazing new weeping habit with bright orange foliage, and you want to bring that to market. The only way you're going to be able to do that efficiently is through grafting. So. Um, you don't need a massive amount of stock to be able to cut from, to be able to get a large number of plants produced. And that's the real advantage to grafting is that you're not really depending exclusively on that that very tip of a plant, you can actually graft side branches. So there are so many different ways to graft. Now the logical way is to use the top. Right, that that would be applicable grafting. Thing is, there's a bunch of different ways that you can graft, including approach grafting, which is where you have two rooted plants and you put those two together. Um, Bark grafting, which is often done um, to repair old trees that have been damaged. Um, Bench grafting, cleft grafting, uh, side veneer, whip and tongue. Um, They have pretty cool names, right? So I think grafting is worth getting into just because you're gonna sound really awesome. Now, the Bible of grafting, is written by Peter McDonald, a fellow IPPS past president, a wonderful leader. This is the book if you want to really dive into the world of grafting. Um, another amazing resource is Dr. Fred Davies from Texas A&M. He's actually our editor for the Southern Region IPPS, and he has written the textbooks for grafting that most land grant universities continue to use. In fact. That was how my first introduction to Dr. Davies was through my plant propagation class. Now there are a lot of very specific supplies that you need that you might not necessarily have on hand um, unless you're already a passionate grafter and you would need a grafting knife or a grafting machine which they now create that look like modified pruners that will create all the specific different cuts that you will need. And this is actually an invention um, for the fruit tree industry because most of our fruit trees are grafted um, specifically for um, disease resistant. They're on disease resistant root stock. Um, so you need grafting bands, you need wax or tape that's going to protect the graft union specifically from disease or insects. And then you need a humid, you need a humid environment that's also cool, which is why most grafting is actually done in the winter season. Um, so again, your facility is ultimately going to be the thing that determines your success layer level. It's not always that grafting is hard, it's the aftercare, just like with cuttings. If you don't have a proper mist facility, you're probably not gonna have a high percentage rate that actually root and grafting is the same way. And then of course you need your root stock, your, your often seed grown material, and then the science that you're attaching to it. So you have to make sure your root stock and science are actually compatible. And that's where a lot of these resources, like the, these textbooks, will will let you know how to do that. And then essentially, you're just, um, you know, you're you're putting the cyan wood, which is your desired variety, into the severed rootstock. And however you do that, whether it's from the side or right on top, um, you know, there's a lot of different approaches. Here is my favorite way because you kind of don't fail with this. Because if it doesn't take, you don't actually lose the plants. So you're taking two rooted plants that are in pots and you're putting them next to one another and you're attaching them to each other. And then you wait a certain amount of time and and ultimately they will root
1: out. (laughs) I I am so sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but this just seems like too good to be true that you could take for grafting, you could, Is that right that you're cutting one off to keep the basically the base and the roots and and then adding on the one that you desire to grow and it just it just happens. It just happens. I mean, it it happens
2: uh, through a very specific approach of balancing um, respiration, transpiration and the exchange of of cambium layers, getting the cambium layers. Uh, lined up so that they will actually grow into one another. And, you know, it's what's amazing about grafting is that um, it's done originally. It was done very specifically on trees. um, But now we frequently find that like grafting tomatoes, um, you know, heirloom tomatoes that don't have much disease resistance or nematode resistance uh, are being grafted onto um, you know, modern day rootstock so that they can be field grown and um, not succumb to all of the traditional problems. And that's what grafting really offers is this. It's a solution to modern day problems. But then the opposite side of plant propagation is is actually growing from seed. And this is so critical because we of course need to have genetic diversity and we need to have an influx of new varieties of plants to be able to hit into the marketplace. And so there's a lot of reasons that seed should be a a, a part of the way that we produce plants. Um, It's not for replicating a specific cultivar. That's why we have asexual methods, but for creating new genetics, for, you know, certainly for plant breeding, for finding new traits in plants, it can't be done without the process of growing from seed. So as a camellia enthusiast and a camellia breeder, um, I got very, very um, well-versed in in how to grow out camellia seedlings from my intentional crosses and in the case of camellias they their their seed pods which develop usually midwinter. well what that's when they're flowering aren't actually ripe until middle of fall so you know they have about a six to seven month duration of the seed staying on the plant and so different plants are going to have different rates Um, With camellias, they're best to allow to dry at room temperature and then you remove the outside casing and then you stratify these seeds by putting them in the refrigerator with a damp paper towel. So actually you're both um, stratifying and scarifying to some capacity by the introduction of the wet paper towel provides some of the scarification meaning the breaking down of the seed coat which inhibits germination Um, and then the stratification which is mimicking a cycle of weather and in this case mimicking winter so that it will be ready to germinate when you go to sow it out the following spring so with camellias like many plants they're best sown in spring Um, so that would be the fall collected seed Refrigerated, slightly damp, sown in the spring, it tends to germinate within 14 to 20 days. Um, Again, acidic, well-drained potting soil. Um, And I would frequently do these both in communal trays and in specific cell packs, the same kind of cell packs that I would use for propagating cuttings. Um, With camellias, they need to be in light shade because they are more of a shade loving plant, and then they need to be watered regularly as any plant that is grown in a container needs. There is really no such thing as a drought tolerant nursery plant. (laughs) It's the bottom line. They're growing in artificial media, typically in black plastic, you know, out in in like a a cleared area, they need water. Now, if you want to learn more about plant propagation and and particularly how to do this on a smaller scale, you can watch an episode of Growing a Greener World that I did with Joe Lample a few years ago, um, all about making more plants. And actually just last week, we started filming for a brand new class that will be offered in 2022, all about plant propagation and all of these different methods. And you can watch Growing a Greener World anytime on ggwtv.com. You can also watch them on YouTube. Uh, They are on PBS. This is one of the only nationally syndicated gardening shows that is currently being produced in the United States and I'm very grateful to get to be a part of this and we've done a number of episodes right here from my home garden and I would love for people to be able to watch and learn from those experiences and um, gain a greater understanding.
0: I definitely recommend the foodscaping one. Yes. (laughs)
2: Well, in conclusion, I just want to encourage you all to dream big, recognize that the world is constantly changing and there will always be a need for your knowledge. I hope you won't ever stop learning and then sharing the knowledge that you have gained because there's always another generation that needs to hear your voice and i just want you to know that you're making the world a better place just by existing so if you need a cheerleader you can just get in touch with me because that's what i'm here for so i wish you the best of luck on your plant propagation journey i thank you for your time today and i hope that you have the greatest year ever And I hope that you will also keep in touch with me. I am online at BrieGrowse.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And it's been a a treat to get to be here today and talk about my passion for propagating plants because the world needs more plants, right?
0: Yes, they do.